turn to your neighbor this morning, just say hello to each other and welcome here at Crossroads Ministries. worthy of all of our praise, isn't he? Especially this time of year, and we're so glad that he has given us the opportunity to worship him, to talk with him, to humbly come before him, because he is Emmanuel. What hope we hold this starlit night, a king is born. Rejoice in the hallowed manger. 
the greatest gift of love when we could not reach heaven heaven came to us he made a way in a manger a way through the sun messiah the promised before time had begun for god so loved this world though he Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you somewhere and see if you can find one of those little black friendship folders. And when you find one of those, if you'll put your name on it and give it to somebody sitting near you, we will appreciate that a lot. We want to thank uh, everybody who had a part in our dinner theater this year. Um, maybe you were here and maybe you were working and you didn't get to come to the dinner theater. You can get it on our website at home crossroadsministries.com just go there and go to messages and uh, a lot of people have seen it uh, on the website so the whole the whole entire program is on there so you go home and spread that news around and let other people enjoy it that uh, we're not able to come uh, we now are asking the Lord to help us uh, to meet the needs of all the missionary projects on your on your missionary gift list, which is in your Sunday Courier this morning. Uh, one of those is highlighted in our Sunday Courier, named Corey. Uh, this family, this fellow, was a native of Bethlehem, or Israel, and was won to Christ by a tourist from America. You know, tourists are always going to, to Israel. And when they go over there, uh, you know, they always witness for Jesus. 
in the, in the land of the Bible. And uh, this fellow was won to Christ through a tourist. And the tourist encouraged him to come to America to go to Bible college and study for the ministry. He did. Came to Springfield, Missouri, to the Bible college there, studied for the ministry, went back to Bethlehem and started this church. Now, Bethlehem is one of the hardest places in the world to have a church, a Christian church. It's, Christian churches are hated in that section of the country. Uh, anything that has to do with a Christian God, the Jewish God, but he has, he has built a substantial church there in Bethlehem against all odds. And uh, he started other churches around in Israel. And so he's on our, he's on our gift list. And we want to encourage him. Uh, he's in a place where it's very dangerous uh, to speak up about Jesus. So right now I think we are at, that's where we are, 28,000 has come in so far for our birthday gift to Jesus offering. And for those of you who have already given, I thank you profusely. But uh, for those who haven't, uh, this offering will roll over all the way into the end of January. And so you keep praying about it. Ask the Lord what he'd have you to do, what part in this offering you could have. And then uh, give more to Jesus than any other single person on your Christmas list. That'll make Christmas special at your house. And then give by faith. Every year, people in our church, some people, they have to give by faith. I mean, there's no other way to give. Uh, you know, they spend what, what comes in every week, and there's nothing extra. So giving by faith means ask the Lord, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? Lay a number on my heart, and when he does, don't be afraid. Just pray it in. Say, Lord, I'll, I'll give it if you give it to me. And just look, expect it, expect God to provide it. And then when God provides it, just turn it in, and we'll add it. I notice in our little junior church downstairs, they have a, a, a thermometer. And their goal is $100 down there. And they're already torturing their parents, you know, trying to get money out of them. But in all of our Sunday school classes, we have a goal. And even down in the little children's classes, we have a goal. Everybody's, everybody's working together. We're praying together. And uh, when you turn your offering in, uh, please designate it uh, Christmas so that we can keep it separate. Out in the foyer, we have the Bible reading records for the new year. If you don't have a successful Bible reading plan, pick up one of these. Uh, I use this. Joanne uses this. We've used it for a number of years. It works well. It enables you to read the, through the Bible actually more than one time in a year. And uh, it keeps you on track. Those are available. Just pick one up out in the foyer. Let's stand together, please, as our ushers come this morning and we'll receive our morning offering. I want to encourage you to uh, come to our Christmas Eve service up here on the hill. Um, service time is 3 o'clock and 5 o'clock this year. Last year it was 4 and 6. We just bumped it up just a little bit earlier. That gives people time to do something after. But everybody likes to go to church on Christmas Eve. There's something special about that. So. If somebody's visiting in your home, invite them to come be your guest and come and enjoy the fellowship up here on Christmas Eve. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for providing our needs, for giving us a job, a means of income, a way to support our family. We, uh, we thank you and we don't take this for granted, Lord. We pray now that as we come to take care of uh, your spiritual family here on the hill, we pray that you'll pour out upon us the spirit of generosity as we give for your work, bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated.
from a lowly manger crib. Our was of Bethlehem, how lovely, pure, and sweet, born to glorify the Father, born to the blossom of God's love, though its bloom is fresh with youth, surely what will be he knows, for a tear of morning dew is rolling down the On this silent holy night Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Luke and the New Testament. The book of Luke. No series on Christmas would ever, ever be complete. Uh, lest we read Luke chapter 2. That's the main story of Christmas. I'd like to talk to you today about the simple story of Christmas. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, the scripture says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governor in Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed or engaged wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, strips of cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. They were guarding their flocks. 
And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. This is the reaction in the Bible usually when an angel appears to an earthling. The earthling doesn't say, oh, it's nice to see you today. I've been waiting on you. Uh, they quake in fear. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings, a great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude. Here we find more angels. A multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which they were told by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. In the 1960s, an American astronaut wrote a book entitled Moonwalk. He related how he had left uh, this pleasant, familiar, and safe place we call Earth. And he landed on an alien, dangerous, and unfamiliar planet known as the moon. Luke chapter 2 is the beginning of a divine account of Christ's earthwalk. It begins with a story of how God's Son left the beauty and safety of heaven to dwell upon an alien and cursed planet. We call it Earth. You know, God is ultimately in charge of history. One of the values, one of the values that we have of reading the Bible through systematically, and we always encourage that in the church. Um, as long as uh, you are around here, you've heard us encourage you, read the Bible systematically. That means start at one end, work through to the other end, get a good Bible reading schedule. When you do that, you begin to see the whole panorama of history. And history is his story. And it's amazing how God is the architect. He is the orchestrator of history. And uh, Chris Christmas, though, is part of that orchestration. Christmas is not a fantasy. It's a fact. And it's verified by persons, places, historical accounts mentioned in the Bible. And uh, one of the important facts of Christmas is wrapped up in this first character that we see right here in Luke chapter 2, the emperor's decree, Caesar Augustus. The Greek word for decree is dogma, and, uh, and Caesar Augustus was very dogmatic when he made this decree. And when he made it, the whole earth began to move because of his decree. But his decree was prompted by Almighty God in heaven. Christmas was prepared in heaven. It really was. At Christmas, we always bring out Galatians 4, 4 and 5. And so let's read this together this morning, please. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. This verse says at just the right time, God did it again. He interposed into history on this planet Earth in the fullness of time, God dispatched his son to be born of a woman, not a woman and a man, but just a woman, to be born of a woman, born under the law, the Old Testament law, for the purpose of redemption, to purchase those who were burdened down by the law, 
for the purpose that we might receive the adoption as sons. In other words, that we could be a part of the family of God. And so, at just the right time, the fullness of time, God interjected into history his son. You know, man could not save themselves, uh, but what was needed was a heavenly intervention. And it came, first of all, in the person of Caesar Augustus. Uh, Caesar Augustus was the son of Julius Caesar. Uh, he'd be the right person to do this job. In 27 BC, the Roman Senate declared him to be the first emperor of Rome. Two years later, he honored himself with the title Augustus, the exalted one. This is a religious title. It was a title, not a name. He wanted to deify himself. Rome previously had a republican form of government. That is, the empire was governed by laws and not by any man. But they had so much confidence in Caesar Augustus, they thought he could do a better job uh, being a complete leader wrapped up in himself. Why did Caesar Augustus have so much power? Well, God allowed him, of course, to have that power. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Uh, the, whenever you uh, think about this, and you're reading through the Bible systematically, as we encourage you to do, this whole idea jumps off the pages. God is up to something again. God is interjecting his plan on planet Earth. He's, trap, he's tapping Caesar Augustus on the shoulder, and Caesar Augustus is going to open his mouth, and when he opens his mouth and he gives his dogma, the world is going to move. Justin Martyr, writing in the middle of the second century, about 100 years after the time of Jesus, said this. He said that you could still look up the records of this census of which we speak here this morning in this church. They were still on record at his time. Justin Martyr lived 100 A.D. to 165. And uh, he was true to his name. He was martyred for his faith. Joseph and Mary had to return to their ancestral home. This sentence, or this sentence, census was for the purpose of taxation. Jews didn't have to serve in the army. They just had to pay the freight. They had to support the army. This census had a positive and negative effect on the population. The negative effect was that the people had to interrupt their lives, lay down their implements of work, take time off the job, the expense of travel, and the dangers of travel. You know, whenever I think about this, I think about the people that I know, people in our congregation, and how, how hard you work to make a living. You get up early, you pray, Lord, help me again today. Here I am. I have so many contacts that I have to make. I have so many problems that I have to solve. Uh, you'll have to give me the strength in order to do it, and you work hard all day long. And oftentimes you work overtime and you come home tired and you thank God, Lord, I made this day, but there's another day tomorrow and it's facing me and it's just as bad or worse than the day before. And you go off to work again and, you're, and your routine keeps you running. You're running from day to night. Uh, it would be hard for you to take time off, to alter your routine, uh, to do something different. And so here, when his decree went out, the whole, the whole country had to virtually shut down. And they had to go back to their place of an, their ancestral home. That was the negative thing. But then there was a positive thing, and that was to have a family reunion back in their ancestral home. Most of their relatives probably lived there. I was talking to a person in our community not long ago, and we were just... Uh, having some small talk, and I said, where do your kids live? And he said, oh, one of them lives in California, and one lives up here in northern Pennsylvania. And, and I said, well, do you see the boy in California very often? He says, no, we don't see him. He comes for funerals and uh, maybe for an anniversary. Uh, and, you know, that's the way it is in our scattered society that we've created. Uh, when we have a funeral, the family shows up usually if they can. And, uh, and this was the positive thing of this census. 
It seems as though that Joseph dug his feet in before heading out to Bethlehem. Why? Because he and Mary were in this period of engagement. Uh, and engagement, as we have been taught early in this series, was legally binding even though they had not come together physically. She was with child of the Holy Spirit. Someone said, well, why didn't they stay with their relatives? Well, I guess that would have been good if you get along with your relatives. Because they did have relatives in Bethlehem. Well, why did they consider an inn? If you go home and look up on the computer, uh, ancient inns at that particular time, and uh, looked at them carefully, you wouldn't want to stay in the inn. The inn was a dirty place. It was an unwholesome environment. It was a place you wouldn't want to stay, but evidently they were willing to stay there. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe they uh, wanted to stay there to stay away from the people that they knew. They'd only been betrothed for six months, and this pregnancy was not supposed to happen during that time. And how would it be if Joseph was just was prompted to talk about the virgin birth? How would you explain that to your relatives? Joseph and Mary just kind of wanted to like slip into town incognito, find a place and have this baby. Christmas was orchestrated in heaven by God, but it was presented in Bethlehem. The meaning of the word Bethlehem is house of bread, and uh, that's interesting. There is this ancient prophecy that we like to bring out and talk about because there's so much in it. It's Micah 5.2. Let's read this together this morning, please. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Ephrata is the ancient name of Bethlehem. It means fruitfulness. And so when you go in the Old Testament, remember, uh, you'll see that word, Ephrathite, somebody from Ephrath. Here we find this ancient prophecy that in this particular Bethlehem, located in Judah, one is going to come forth who is going to rule Israel. And I like the last word in this sentence, from everlasting. This is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh himself. But why Bethlehem? Well, uh, it was the birthplace of King David. It was, by the way, a very unimpressive place. It was a fork in the road. But here we find in this particular prophecy that God pinpointed the birthplace of his son. And when they got there, there was no room. It was full, no advance reservations. One thing I noticed that there is no heartless innkeeper here in this story. That, mess, that would mess up a lot of church plays, you know that? Because we rely upon him, don't we? To tell Mary and Joseph, there's no room here, be gone. He's not here. Well, I think we could uh, safely say that these two words pretty well sum up our Lord's reception on earth. No room. You know, whenever a person comes to Christ, isn't it the first impulse that you have to reach your relatives for Christ? Don't you want all of your family members to be in the fold? Of course you do. And usually, you go to them first, and you, in your exuberating way, uh, you share your enthusiasm for Christ with them. And sometimes, some of them come to Christ. And other times, they say, well, we'll listen to you later when we see how this works out in your life down the road. Well, Jesus went to the Jews first, and the Bible says in John 1:11 he came to his own, but his own said, no room. No room in Judaism for Christ. I had a friend one time uh, who studied uh, theology in Jerusalem. And he said the only time he ever saw the name of Jesus written was on a garbage can in Israel. Now, of course, they capitalize on Christian tourists that come over there. But there is no room in Israel for Jesus. 
Whenever Jesus started preaching there, they said, listen, there's no room here for you, especially was the religious group of people said no room. Remember, they were the ones that prompted the whole, the whole idea of crucifixion of Christ upon the cross. You know, in our culture today, sad to say, in America, the home of the free, the land of the brave and free, uh, the country that was built upon the premise of God and his word, uh, our culture today is as fast as they can get away with it, are putting, pushing Christ right out of Christmas, you know it. I was looking on the internet and I saw that up in Times Square, uh, they have these, these big posters up during Christmas time. There's one of them right there. Who needs Christ during Christmas? Nobody. Another one reads uh, this, keep the merry but dump the myth. And it's placed up there, and it's gigantic. You can see it on your computer. The American atheist, right in your face in Times Square. People are becoming more and more bold to push Christ out of Christmas, to say there's no room. There's no room in people's overcrowded hearts today. Well, the angel said, listen, I, I want to tell you where the baby's going to be born. The baby's going to be born in, um, in Bethlehem, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, in some of your translations, the word swaddling clothes um, says strips of cloth. And this has been a tradition for a long, long time. Whenever a baby is born, they wind them up. Some of you have been to the hospital, maybe recently, <coughs> and they brought the new little baby out to show you, and Immediately when you look at that baby, you love it, <laughs> but you feel sorry for it because it's all bound up in cloth. It can't move. I mean, as tight as they could get it. Um, that in their culture and in our culture was to keep the baby from scratching themselves because they have fingernails a lot of times and uh, they'll get their face all messed up before their fingernails are clipped. But it also was to make them feel warm and comforted because they've been captivated in a closed environment for a long time. They didn't want to give that baby too much freedom. And so it was considered abuse if they didn't wrap the baby up in strips of cloth. But that wasn't the sign. That was, that was common practice back then. The sign was, you're going to find this baby in a manger. That's a feeding trough. That's rare. That's really rare. That's where the baby's going to be found. And so the Christmas was presented in Bethlehem. It was announced to the shepherds. And I want to draw your attention to verse 9. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were greatly afraid. This first announcement was to the angels, or to the shepherds, excuse me. It was um, these people were unnoticed people. They were invisible. They were simple men. But God targeted them specifically to underscore the thought that God loves everyone. That's the outstanding theme of Christmas. God loves everyone. The palace didn't hear first. The temple didn't hear first. Jerusalem didn't hear. The birth announcement that goes out goes to a group of sheep herders in Bethlehem. And uh, God is setting uh, here a precedent, I think, because remember when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, the first persons that he revealed himself to were women. They were the most abused people in the land. And when Jesus came on the scene, he wanted to elevate the position of women in the world to the proper place that God had designed for them to be elevated to. And now, uh, in, this, in this particular act of the, of the angel appearing to the shepherds, he wanted to show to the world that everybody is important with him. Uh, these people were out guarding their flocks. They weren't seeking God, but God was seeking them. They were not religious people. A lot of times in our culture today, people think, well, you know, uh, in order for God to be happy with somebody, they need to be religious. Far from the truth. Far from the truth. Uh, 
These people were not religious. Their job wouldn't permit them to be religious. They were travelers. They didn't have a regular hours. They lived in the fields. They were ceremonially unclean. I've, you've heard me say before they couldn't testify in a court of law. They were so untrustworthy. But it's interesting that God used them to be his first witnesses, just like God. They were noted for their thievery. Whenever the shepherds came to town or they got near the town, people would start nailing down things in their home lest they lose them quickly. They were considered to be the scum of the earth, unloved, neglected, unwanted. Uh, but God said, listen, I'm going to announce to them first that a Savior has come to the world. Now, they did have an important job. I don't think they, they may not have realized that they were raising lambs for sacrifices. Now they would see the Lamb of God, of which their lambs that they were raising was a picture. Their lambs were accepted at the temple to cover the sins of the people. But now God's Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, He would be the Lamb that would not only cover the sins, but would eradicate the sins of the people. And so we have the birth announcement. In a culture like this, I, I understand that it was a custom to have the local musicians come to greet the baby with music. Uh, sometimes the best we do in our culture is we put a stork out in the, in the front yard. Not much music going on. But in their culture, the musicians would get together and they would come and, and they would play their music outside the house. And so here the Lord says, I want to do a lot better than that for the coming of Christ. I'm going to send my angels, more angels, to come and to praise God at this birth. Look at verse 13. And suddenly there were with the, the angel a multitude. Remember, first of all, there was a singular angel. Secondly, now, a multitude of heavenly hosts. Now, you may want to write in your margin or your Bible there, God's armies, because that's what they are. They are God's army, the heavenly host. And they were praising God, his minstrels, so to speak. Uh, and he has the angels come. Why? Their angels are really interested in salvation, the Bible teaches. Remember in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, the Bible says, There is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner who repents. Just think of that. You know, you and I, uh, in our world, people are coming to Christ all the time, just like that. And uh, you know what that means? The angels are rejoicing all the time in heaven. They are interested. They are interested in salvation. And so the Bible says in Job chapter 38, verse 7, that they were singing at the creation. And so why wouldn't he send them at this particular time? He did. Uh, to bring in the celebration of the Son of God. Let's look at the announcement in verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. You see the word good tidings there? It is the, um, the Greek word euangelion, from which we get the English word gospel. And here we find uh, the mention of the word gospel right here. I bring you good tidings, the gospel, and you can read it that way. The gospel was preached, first of all, by an angel. Good news. The Savior is born. The next word is the word Savior. This is man's greatest need, isn't it? Savior, Messiah, Lord. Savior, to save a person from their sins. Messiah, the person who is the Fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies and Lord, which means master. Then the angels come and there's this great multitude and, uh, and they praise God in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Peace toward men. Now think of this with me this morning. Rome had defeated all of its rivals. The world, so to speak, was at peace. No nations against each other. It was peace, of course, at Rome's uh, dictate, but nonetheless, they were peaceful. You know, it's nice to live in a peaceful 
world. It really is. You and I have been able to do that relatively free here in America. Now, our military has paid the price for our freedom, have they not? The reason why we can be free and wake up in the morning without incredible apprehension is because of the great military that our country has had down through the years and the tremendous price that has been paid for our freedom. But in many lands, people don't get to live like we do. In many lands, there is perpetual, continual war. Uh, Rome had defeated all of its rivals. There was peace at that particular time. Epictetus was a first century writer, and this is what he said. While the emperor may give peace from war on land or sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, from grief and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns for more than any outward peace. This peace that Christ came to give was peace in our heart, peace for the hearts of people. No matter if the nation is at war or not, the most important kind of peace, is it not, is to have peace in our heart. There are many of our brothers and sisters in Christ in raging warfare in their lands today, but, the, but they have within their heart a peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think when you have peace with God, uh, you can uh, stand anything. You really can. If there is an openness between you and God, well, after these announcements came, uh, the angels uh, went away into heaven in verse number 15, and the shepherds said, hey, listen, uh, let's go to Bethlehem. I have written in my Bible, Christmas Rush. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And then look what they did. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them according, uh, concerning the child. And all those who heard their message marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Uh, they went out. They experienced Christmas in their heart. Their hearts were filled, I think, with the peace of God. Uh, can you imagine the story they had to tell and the stories that uh, revolved the coming of all these angels appearing to them. You know, I like the metaphor or the reality of Christ in our heart. Ephesians 3.17 says that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. These people went away changed. And you know, this is why we're encouraging you. We can't go to Bethlehem I guess we could if we tried hard enough. Uh, we're not going to go to Bethlehem right now, but we can go to Christ. Every day that we have our devotions with the Lord, we can go to Christ, and if we're open to Him, I think God makes little changes in our lives. Uh, I know sometimes we, we want stupendous changes. Sometimes we want great changes. But, you know, I think God is satisfied with little changes because the little changes add up. You know that? And when you and I meet together with the Lord in our devotions, and if we're, if we're not just checking off the list, okay, I read my Bible today, I prayed today, check, 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 check. If we're, if we're, if we're having this connection with the God, I find this, that in my most sincere moments with God, uh, I am changed a little bit, just a little bit. And it's a really good feeling because all of us need changes, don't we? We need changes in our attitude. We need changes in the way we present ourselves to people. We need changes in what we do and, and how we act. Uh, we need changes. And that's what Christianity is about. You know, Jesus meets us where we are, but he doesn't expect us to remain there. He met the shepherds where they were, but he didn't expect them to be the same. He expected them to be changed. 
Remember when they brought the woman taken in adultery to the Lord? Remember what he said to her? He looked into her heart and he saw a repentant person and he said this, go and what? Sin no more, right? Now the Lord will meet anybody, anywhere, anytime, any place. But when they come to him and they are touched by him, he expects change. He wants change. He expects us to walk in his steps, to be transformed into some of his characteristics rather than ours. Whenever he gathered his initial disciples together, remember he said, follow me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. I think we could take the first part of that statement and apply it to everything. If you'll follow the Lord, God will make you the person he wants you to be. Just follow him. Well, what happened to the shepherds? Well, uh, they were changed. They became witnesses. Uh, they went out and told the story. Mary pondered. She had lots of things to think about. This little baby that she was feeding uh, one day uh, fed the animals in the Garden of Eden, fed her ancestors in the wilderness of Sinai, and now she was feeding this little baby who's going to be saying one of these days, I am the bread of life. Uh, you know, God intentionally uses the overlooked messengers to preach his good news. And the reason why is because God gets all the glory. Uh, you see, God doesn't play power games with people. He doesn't deal with inflated egos. By using people that the world considers second-rate, God displays his power. And I'm just thinking of a few people that I know personally. Somebody would look at them and say, boy, you know, they're, they're, not, they're like a second-rate person. And God is using them in an extraordinary way. And uh, God is moving through them because, because they are not uh, looking for personal applause, accolades. They're not looking for that. They're looking to serve God for his honor and for his alone. And, you know, it's kind of hard to find somebody like that. You know that? And when God zeroes in on a person like that, he really, really uses them. Uh, these people were amazed at the message of the shepherds. Uh, the story that they were telling because shepherds don't normally know this kind of information exactly. God gets the glory. God uses unlikely means to convey his message of salvation. You know, you and I go home and we think we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, well, you know, I'm not really too much. You know, I compared to this person and compared to that person, I don't think that, you know, I, I have a whole lot to offer God. You know, that may be a good thing in disguise. In fact, I think it is a good thing in disguise. Though whenever we come to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, I just don't have much to give you. I think God says or thinks that's exactly the kind of person that I'm looking for. Because that's the kind of person that I can move through. That's the kind of person that I can work through. And when we get any kind of a result, that person will give me the glory and everybody else will because they will say, that person really can't do that. It was God. And so uh, if you go home and look in the mirror and say, listen, I just don't feel up to this job, I think God is going to say to you, that's what I've been waiting to hear from you. That's what I've been waiting to hear. I'm going to use you now. I love 1 Corinthians 1, 27. It goes like this. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. Now just follow me. This is the last point. The things which God despised, the shepherds, the things which people despise, the shepherds were despised, God has chosen them. And the things which are not to bring to nothing, the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now these shepherds went out and they were changed people because of their encounter with Christ in some way. I don't know all the dimensions of that. But they were changed. And God got the glory from it because people said, those shepherds, they can't do anything right. And now they were being used mightily of God. 
Well, the first preaching of the gospel was by an angel we saw today. But angels are not preaching the gospel today. You are, and I am, and we are. Uh, we are the vehicle that God uses to preach his gospel. I know that you, you say to yourself, you know, I don't feel like a preacher. But in a very real sense, you are. You are. Because you're up for a lot of conversation, aren't you? You talk about a lot of things. But when you talk about Jesus, you become a preacher. Let me guarantee you that if you talk about Jesus on the job, it won't be a month or two, they'll be calling you the preacher, right? Oh, that's the preacher over there. If you get around her, if you get around him, they'll preach to you. Now, that's a good thing. That's what we should be doing. Uh, the shepherds went out, and uh, they became overnight preachers, sharing the message, a Savior is born. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, uh, I want to encourage you to let God use you uh, as his instrument in our world. I know that the devil can uh, whisper in our ear that we're not good enough, that we're not talented enough, that we don't have our act together. Uh, on and on and on it goes. And we begin to believe that, 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 that Christian service or just living for Christ is something out of our realm. It's for someone else, more talented. Don't believe that. Don't believe that, please. These shepherds in the field were the least. They were the least. They were the overlooked. Their self-image probably wasn't good at all. And God said, listen, I'm going to show you what I can do. And so I want to encourage you today. Whatever you have, give it to God. Lay it out before the Lord and see what God can do. Not you, but God. And God will come into your life as, as underpowered as you think it is and show you something great. Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, this story and how it uh, so applies in so many different areas to our life today. We thank you that uh, you've looked down into our life and chose, you chose us. You singled us out. You put your finger on us and you've said, listen, uh, you're my preacher in your workplace. You're my preacher on the streetcar. You're my preacher in the carpool. You're my preacher. Share the message of salvation. We thank you for this, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song. And as we sing this song together, if you'd like to come and pray about anything going on in your life or the life of a friend, just feel free to do that right now. sing these Christmas songs, isn't it? You know, we bring them out a few weeks, and then we hide them away, and we bring them out. It's nice. Uh, Christmas Eve, 3 o'clock in the afternoon and 5, 
If somebody's coming to visit you at your place, bring them along. I'll tell you, it'll be a nice service. I guarantee you that. We'll be singing the old Christmas traditional songs, and it'll be something that you'll enjoy. Um, also, out in the foyer, on either side of the foyer, there are two tables. And on those tables are your offering envelopes for next year. Now, if you look through there and you don't find your name, don't panic. Uh, just there's a tablet there, and you can write your name down, and we'll get you uh, the envelopes that you need for next year. The people who, who count our offerings use this, and they tell me it, it really helps them a lot if people use their offering envelopes. So please do that. They're available. God bless you. We'll see you Christmas Eve. Turn around and shake hands with your neighbor. God bless you. You're dismissed.